Brilliant. Uh, so this is kind of, it's an Easter message, but uh, really we wanted to focus particularly on what was going on yesterday, Holy Saturday, not something that we talk about a lot. Uh, so this talk is going to pivot around what's going on in Holy Saturday, and hopefully we get some Holy Spirit fireworks. Um, so uh, Holy Spirit, we'd like some fireworks. <laughs> we open our hearts to your wave of grace today. And for anyone uh, listening at home couldn't make it here today, we bless you as well, uh, that you'd really encounter the, the risen Jesus today. Holy Saturday, I don't know, if, if you're anything like me, you'd probably never heard very much about what was going on on Saturday. When we talk about Good Friday, it's like, well, there's Good Friday, it's, uh, it's the day Jesus is crucified, it's a somber day, generally, when we do this kind of... Um, uh, church events, sort of reflecting on, yeah, the crucifixion um, and sin and darkness, all those kind of things. And then Easter is like celebration day. It's all good. It's The churches are built traditionally for the lights to come in, the, the sun to shine through the stained glass from the east, you know, and all, all these kind of cool things. Uh, but then what's going on on Saturday? And a, a lot of the time it's presented as well. It's sort of a quiet. It's quiet. Everything's quiet. Nothing is really going on. It's sort of mysterious. Jesus is in the grave, um, and we're kind of waiting for him to come out, but nothing much is happening. Uh, of course, this is really only the case in kind of the last few hundred years. We didn't really focus much on what's going on on Holy Saturday. Uh, in much of the church, and especially the Eastern Church, there's a huge uh, focus on, on Holy Saturday. There's quite a number of icons that are uh, designed, icon designs that are based around Holy Saturday. And they, they're usually called the icons of the harrowing of hell, which I think sounds like quite a fun name. You know, it's, uh, it's the sort of thing you might get, um, at, you know, at a, a heavy metal concert or something like that. I don't know. Maybe we, we were watching this terrible show, Tattoo Fixes. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a ter- terrible, terrible show. I couldn't sleep, so I started watching it. And it was, it was strangely compelling, watching people fix these awful tattoos that they had in Magaluf and things like that. And I've never, I never got a tattoo because I could never decide really what I wanted. Um, but I do like that kind of heavy metal rock, you know, vibe. So maybe if I were to get one, I'd get some kind of like flaming skull saying harrowing of hell or something like that on it. Um, you know, uh, either that or a little heart with an arrow through it. And <laughs> um, never get a Chinese tattoo. I've never seen a Chinese tattoo done right. Um, s- supermarket names, uh, the name of the, the, the Taipei Underground. A guy thought it meant luck and love. It didn't. It was like putting London Underground on your arm. Um, beautifully ornate tattoo, but it was terrible. Um, never get a Chinese tattoo. At the very least, come and speak to me before you do. Um, is this prophetic for someone? You're going to, who's, who? Who is Holy Spirit picking out saying, don't get a Chinese tattoo? Anyway, um, five minutes wasted. Uh, so, harrow, the harrowing of hell. Uh, dramatic. You know, in the, in the Apostles' Creed, it says that, uh, that Jesus descended into the inferno. This is what happened on, uh, on the Saturday. He descended into the inferno. Uh, why? To, to destroy the power of death. And as the scripture says, to destroy him who held the power of death. That is the devil. That's what, that's what Jesus is doing on Holy Saturday. He's, he's going down into the bottom of the bottomless pit. And he's not just going there kind of quietly. He's going there to kick ass and take names, you know, if I can put it that way. He's, he's going to destroy the one who holds the power of death and holds us captive. So the scripture says it, that it held us captive through the fear of death, held us captive to death. And this is really important today because 
I don't know if you, you've picked up, as I have, that uh, there's not exactly a recession of fear going on in the world today at the moment, is there? Uh, fear is not in short supply. You know, maybe, um, maybe oil and gas is in short supply. Fear is not in short supply. Uh, and, uh, and it seems to be inflating every day. But here we've got in the Scripture the statement, what Jesus is doing in, uh, in Holy Saturdays is destroying him, the one who held us captive to death by the fear of death. And being liberated from fear and being liberated from the fear of death is actually really, really key and really central for us. It's, it's a huge part of our, uh, our inheritance. And I think it's, uh, it's very, um, you know, timely for us as we, we've tragically lost some friends in the last few, few weeks, you know, uh, in the church. And we, we still, you know, very much, uh, Grace and I were pr- praying with the, our friends and families, you know, um, who've... Uh, who've lost friends. But of course, we know we haven't lost them. And it struck me when I was preparing for this message that the New Testament really avoids the word death quite a lot. It says, you know, so-and-so has fallen asleep. Remember when, when Jesus goes to see Lazarus, he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. The disciples don't understand. They say, well, if he falls asleep, he'll get better. And he says, no, he's dead. I'm going to go and raise him from the dead. Like I was just trying, telling you, he's fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. Um, I'm, and I, he, he realizes I can't use that language with you yet. You're not quite ready. Okay, he's dead. I'm going to go raise him. But he's trying to say, from my perspective, he's fallen asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. So uh, the, those who are gone are not, are not lost. Uh, they're not lost to us. Um, a, a friend of mine, uh, uh, he's kind of like the, the, the Catholic uh, Randy Clark. If you guys maybe know Randy Clark, the he, healing, uh, Baptist healing evangelist. Um, this friend of mine, Damien, he's, he's kind of a Catholic version, you know, does these big charismatic Catholic conferences. And uh, he, he, his wife uh, tragically died young um, just a few months ago. And I, I was so struck by the reaction of the family because he's just su- such a deep faith and encounter in the resurrection life of God. And he said, he put these beautiful words up on social media, and it, it, I think it will stay with me forever. And I, I've shared it with a few people, but he said, you know, um, she, she's parted from us now for a little while in the flesh, but actually she's pr- more present with us now in the spirit than ever before because she's, she's gone to glory to, to be with Jesus and now is present with us in the spirit which is, of course, what the book of Hebrews says, is that we've come to Mount Zion, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Uh, so th- there's no break in communion, although there's a separation in the, in, in the natural, in, in the flesh, for a little while, just a little while. But then there's, there's reunion. So Holy Saturday. Um, let me throw a couple of scriptures to you and a couple of punchlines. So uh, the, the first letter of Peter... You know, the question of death is, it's a big deal. I think if you've been a Christian for long enough, you're going to have asked questions about how do we deal with all the death in the Bible? How do we deal with all the death in the Old Testament? How do we deal with, you know, the ground opening up and swallowing people up and, you know, bears coming out and smiting children, <laughs> kind of, all these kind of crazy things that happen? And it, it's, uh, it's hard to reconcile sometimes. We've got Jesus comes and brings us a really definitive uh, picture of who the Father is. And then we kind of look back and say, well, uh, how does this accord with things that we've seen in the Old Testament? Anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time is going to be asking those questions. You read the Bible at all, you're going to think there's some, there's some issues there. Um, well, what you, what you may not have noticed is that you're not alone in wrestling with those issues, that the disciples themselves were wrestling with those issues. And Peter wrestles with those issues. And 
I, I read, I'm going to read you a couple of bits from the first letter of Peter, which I am convinced is Peter's apologetic on that, on that question. This is Peter's answer to that question. And he answers it by talking about the harrowing of hell. This is the Jesus going down in, into the inferno. And he, he talks about it in the context of the flood, Noah's flood. And Noah's flood is kind of the archetype of, you know, if you think of all these sort of judgment stories of people getting smited in the Old Testament, uh, the flood is kind of the, 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 the top of the pyramid because basically it's the whole planet gets smited. It's not just one or two people. It's like the, the big one. So I think when Peter's talking about the flood, he's really talking about the whole, uh, the, it's, it's like the part that represents the whole. What do we do about this? How do we understand it in the light of what Jesus has come to show us? And I believe it was Origen of Alexandria who said, if if when you're reading the Scripture, you're reading fear, wrath, vengeance, and judgment, then you are reading your own projection onto God. You are reading the projection of your own fears, and Christ has come to save you from those fears. You know. uh, he, he was one of the, the most central figures in, how, in teaching us how to interpret the Bible in the early church. And he said, we, we have to understand that, that we project our own dysfunction and our own fear onto God. And as long as we're still reading that out of the Scripture, we're still projecting. Jesus has come to deliver us from the fear of death by destroying the one who held us captive uh, to death by the fear of death, namely the devil. So just a couple of verses here. And again, I appreciate people may interpret these differently, but I have my strong convictions as to why I interpret them this way. So I invite you to just listen with your spirit and weigh it for yourself, and we can always talk about it later. And uh, hopefully I'm not giving um, easy answers and making, um, I'm making everybody think a little bit more. So from 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, um, skipping down, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So just notice that, that, that beginning point. It says, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation. That means he preached the gospel. He declared the good news to the imprisoned spirits. Who are the imprisoned spirits? Those who died in the flood, right? An interesting kind of story that's being presented here. <clears throat> now, Peter knows that the backdrop of this is, well, what, what, what about all these people? What about these stories? How do we reconcile this with, with the goodness of God? First of all, it's interesting to me that here it says, after being made alive, he preached to them, which means Jesus is in the grave and is alive right? So we think after being made alive, that's his physical resurrection. Well, that's true, but actually here, Peter's saying he was put to death in the body, but in the spirit was made alive. Where was he made alive? In the grave. 
and in being made alive in the grave, in the inferno, actually. It's not just even in, in, the, in, in the grave. In the Latin, it's in the inferno. In the Greek, it's Hades. Uh, but the, the, the early church understood this as being basically the, uh, the bad place. Right? He, in the rich man and Lazarus story, um, where there's this uncrossable gulf between Abraham and Lazarus, this is saying Jesus crossed the uncrossable gulf. He goes into where the rich man is. Uh, in, in the inferno. This is, this is the image that's being uh, used here. And by the way, um, don't worry too much if, you, if you're asking questions about, well, is the flood literal, you know, and all these things. Those kind of questions don't really bother me too much. Uh, and again, very happy to, to talk about it. But um, as far as I'm concerned, it's, this is a, 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 the, the way we can best understand this is that it's a picture of everything, all of the death that happened before, and by inference, all the death that's, that's come since. Um, that's what's going on. So Jesus goes down into it. He's made alive. Whilst being in death, he's made alive. And this is the power that blasts the doors off of the grave. This is the power that destroys the walls. And in the, the icons of the harrowing of hell, this is what you'll see. It's pictures of Jesus going into, like, sometimes it's depicted like a big monster or a dragon, and he's, he's coming out of the mouth, and he's like, just blasted, blasted the head off, and he's kind of just leading all these people out with him. Uh, from, from the grave. Uh, be- beautiful image. Now, let me just jump forward to the next chapter, uh, which really it's in the same context, but you know you kind of have to read them together. Um, where did it go? Well, uh, I've lost it, but I'll quote it to you. It says, um, oh, here we go. It's verse 6. Uh, For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards with regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Um, I always remember that as they'd be judged according to man with regard to the flesh and live according to God with regard to the spirit. So uh, again, people will debate what this means. I think that the, the obvious meaning is Peter's been talking about what Jesus did when he went down into the grave and he's still talking about the same thing. He doesn't change, really, the subject. So I don't see any reason why we shouldn't expect that, that really, Peter's talking about the same thing. Um, and what he's saying is, well, okay, from a, according to man, that means from a human perspective, we see them as judged. We see these people as they were judged, they died, it's a consequence of their sin, it's really bad, that's it. So according to the flesh, we see, according to the flesh, according to man, we see them as judged. But... The gospel was preached to them while Jesus was alive in death for the reason that they might live according to God. So God's like, well, I, you might say they're judged. You might say they're rejected. You might say they're, you know, they're, they're cut out of the equation. I say, according to God, they live in the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that that made Jesus alive while he went down in the grave and destroyed death. This is the Spirit that made them alive. And what I find immensely hopeful and encouraging about the Scripture is that Peter is, he's specifically mentioned who he's talking about. He's even talking about the bad guys, right? He's talking about the, 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 those who were wiped out in the flood. And Interestingly, it also struck me that when reading this again, that the, um, the, the, the symbol of the flood being baptism, actually it's not Noah who goes through the water, right? Who is it who goes through the water? It's the whole world that goes through the water. 
Noah and his family actually don't go through the water. They float on top of it. But the, but the ones who go through the water and, uh, and under the water, that's the whole planet. And that's what Jesus does when he, when he goes into baptism as well. And Peter's linking the two together. So what, what, do we, what are we supposed to conclude from this? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of things. One is we have, we have a, a, a beautiful and glorious reason to hope. That we, we have a hope for all people. We don't know what decision people are going to make. We don't know. Um, people are free to respond to God how they want to respond to God. God does not force anybody to come into relationship with him. He doesn't force anybody to, uh, to accept him. But the, the glorious hope is, as C.S. Lewis said, no, nobody who, uh, who truly and consistently actually desires joy will not find it. And that, that's, the, that's the joy of, of the hope that's in the gospel uh, for us. And I think this is a wonderful thing that we get to offer to the world because this is true before we believe it. It's true before we choose to accept it. Like we, when we accept it, we start living in accordance with it and we kind of we get the good of it. But actually, this is the, the terms that are written here is this is what Jesus has done and he's done it to you and he's done it for you and it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your decision. He took you with him. Now, are you ready to believe it? And this is what the Holy Spirit is testifying to us today. Are we ready to believe that Jesus has actually done what he says he's done, which has raised us already from death? We were singing it in the song today. We have been resurrected. He has resurrected us. And in that resurrection, we're, we're looking forward to a physical resurrection and the restoration of all things in, in the cosmos, the universe being restored and put into alignment. But that same resurrection life is what lives in us now. And operates us in, uh, operates in us now. And final thought, because I've definitely gone on the 15 minute end of 12 to 15, 10 to 15 minutes. Um, have you ever considered, the Bible says Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. That means he created it, but not only that, he sustains it. So sustaining it means he continually supplies it with life by his presence, and that's why it exists at all. So the scientifically minded among us might talk about the, 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 um, the quantum field, you know, the Higgs field of sustaining mass, you know, that somehow there's this mysterious uh, quantum um, description of why does anything exist at all? What gives it presence? What gives it mass? Uh, well, I, I don't know if that's exactly the same thing as Jesus, but the New Testament says God upholds all things by the word of his might, and that word is Jesus Christ himself, the creator and the sustainer. So here's the question. What happens to everything when the creator and sustainer of everything dies on a cross? What happens to the cosmos when the one who is moment by moment sustaining its existence dies and goes into death? What happens to it? Well, I think we see what happens to it in Matthew's gospel. It says the, 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 the sun goes out, the sky disappears, it all goes black. Why? Well, because the very one who is holding the, the sun up has just died, right? The, the, the very word that upholds the existence of everything and everything throughout all ages and through all, throughout all time, us in this room right now, he died on that cross. He, he took us with him. This is why the New Testament authors say it is, we were with him, we were in him when he died. Why? Because he's the one, who, he's the word that upholds our very existence. So when we see his death, we've seen our death. It's like, oh, well, we, we've already seen it. He, we, our death was there. Because he died it, he died our death. And then was made alive in death and then broke out. So what happens to the cosmos when the one who upholds the existence of the cosmos comes out of the grave? 
Well, it's, the New Testament uses the words new creation. It's a new creation. It's a new heaven and a new earth. The entire universe contained within him, held within him, lovingly held within him, and taken with him out of the grave, and not only that, then ascended into heaven and, and to sit down at the right hand of the Father. What we see in this is the, 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 the only uh, sensible conclusion, a, according to the, the, the witness of the New Testament, is that we now get to see everything, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Every situation, every issue, every person, every planet, uh, everything and anything that is going on, we get to now regard after the Spirit and not after the flesh. The Apostle Paul said, I used to regard Jesus after the flesh, but now I regard no one after the flesh, only after the Spirit. What does he mean? He says, I regard them as having been raised in and by Christ, having been brought up out of the grave. Now, what is our, our mission? Our mission is we proclaim it. We proclaim that same message that unlocks people's hearts, that opens the, opens the hell gates of their hearts so that they can come out of darkness. And as the Scripture says, wake up, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's our, that's our gospel. That's our message. That, that's our ministry. It's one that goes and says to people, not what you have to do in order to get into God's good books. This is what God has done when you, like those people in the flood, basically you, you, you're in the same boat. You're already at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, right? You've already been sunk there. And what's Jesus done? He's come down there and taken you with him because he is the very one who holds the atoms in your body together. Whether you realize it or not, he is the one who's doing that. And we've come to proclaim, this is the Jesus who we know. This is the one we've seen. This is what we've seen him do. And he is the one who is working in your life. So repent. So change your mind about what you think the world is about. Change your mind about what you think you are about. Turn towards him, the one who has always been your life, the one who has always been your sustainer, so that you can actually get with the program. So you can get on board with what he's already done and stop living an illusory, uh, fake existence that's built on lies, built on the lie that you are somehow separated, built on the lie that God doesn't exist, built on the lie that God is fearful and that you, you have to really be worried about him and have to work super hard to get in his good books. Repent from all of that stuff and turn towards him. And what you will find is the Holy Spirit bearing witness within you, the Holy Spirit speaking within you, saying, this is, this is the truth. We, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because the apostles proclaimed it, they, what they saw, but also because we hear the witness of the Spirit proclaiming it to us too, continually proclaiming to us, yes, Jesus has risen. He is risen and you are risen with him. What do we do when we see the craziness of the world around us? We turn inward towards that. We turn to one another. So pray for me in that again. I need to see it again. I need to see the resurrection again. I, I need that, that vision. I, I think this has a big impact on, on the environmental climate change anxieties and things of like that because we have a, a great message that says all of the, 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 the climate has gone in Jesus, right? The weather fronts, the, the oceans, the plastic in the oceans, all of that, he took it with him. And the same marks that he bore on his body on the cross, those are the marks that we put on him. And in those marks are the marks that we've put on the planet Earth. And they're the marks of war that we put on one another. And they're the marks of, of division and breakdown in relationship and hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness and selfish ambition and, and exploitation and all of those marks that we put on one another. Those are the stripes that are put on him. And that's why Peter says, by his stripes, you have been healed. 
The one who, hold, who held that power of death has been destroyed, the Bible says. We don't deal with a devil who is undestroyed. We deal with a devil who is destroyed. So let's not piece him back together again. Let's not put him back together and re-empower him. Let's not give him a, a place at the table because he's been destroyed. We don't have to live under that any longer. This is the glorious Christian hope. This is what we get to preach and what we get to live in. And so whatever we're doing, whatever difficult tr- trouble or obstacles or waves come our way down the line, we have a flow of grace that is saying, here's resurrection life that is supplying us with what we need at, at any given moment. Thanks for, thanks for giving me double the time. Jesus, we need you. <laughs> we need you. We need you. We need you to make these realities known to us. We cannot do it on our own. We can't think our way into it. We can't work our way into it. Holy Spirit, would you turn the lights on? And we pray for our city, for the millions, maybe hundreds of thousands at least in our city who don't know this truth today, who are living in darkness, who are still living under the oppression of a destroyed and defeated devil who don't need to live under that oppression any longer. Though in, in, in spiritual terms, emotional terms, relational terms, economic terms, we pray for, for healing, for the lights to come on. Would you make us such shining beacons of light, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that would turn many, many hearts in this city and beyond towards you. And we pray for the situation in Ukraine and the violence that's going on there. And we just figuratively hold up the sign of the cross over that land and over the, the warring factions. And we declare Christ has risen. Christ has risen. Christ has risen over all these conflicts, over the fears and anxieties, and uh, and over our kids who are across the road having a, a bit of light relief doing Easter egg hunt. We speak life and peace and joy and freedom for them, freedom from the anxieties and fears that the world is trying to put upon them, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from the fear of a hopeless future. We release that and agree, Holy Spirit, with what you are saying and doing us today. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen.